This is Saving the Game, a Christian podcast about tabletop role-playing and collaborative storytelling. Recorded Thursday, September 20th of 2018, it's bonus episode 16. In this episode, the next entry in our Biblical Figures series, this time focusing on the Apostle Matthew. Plus, a brief history of first-century Roman taxation, ghost smuggling, and more. Welcome to Saving the Game. I'm Grant. And I'm Peter. Peter, what are we doing? This is a bonus episode. It's a biblical figures episode, and I'm lost. I, I'm in a whole strange new world. Help, help, Peter. Yeah, yeah, help. You, you, you haven't done one of these before, but that's okay. Um, Jenny did the outline for us, or at least large portions of it. And, oh, thank goodness. Uh, yeah, yeah. So while she may not be here on the recording, she is definitely here in spirit. That's right. Jenny is instead in the catacombs of Paris, where she cannot get good cell phone signal. And she says in her notes, it's very dark down here. Please send a cell phone signal booster. Uh, we'll get right on that. And if we do, maybe it'll arrive by the time they leave from Paris. Yeah, probably. I don't know. <laughs> I've seen overseas shipping. It's like four to six weeks. It's tedious. It's painful. It's very expensive. Yeah, maybe it'll get there by the time they leave from Paris the next time they go. Yeah, that sounds more accurate. <laughs> it's brutal. Anyway, uh, how are you doing, man? Uh, I've been all right. Kind of a back into the normal swing of things, which is nice. Um, work hasn't been particularly noteworthy in any way, shape, or form. How about you? Uh, it's been kind of crazy. We were missed by Hurricane Florence, which was good. We got like three inches of rain over the course of a day. Uh, there are plenty of folks who are still affected. So those of you in the area, we hope you're all right. And if you can all keep folks who are affected in your prayers, that would be much appreciated. But yeah. we pretty much just kind of stocked up and then went, well, we had a rainy day. Yeah, <laughs> that was anticlimactic. I have never been so glad to be so bored. Trust me. <laughs> Did you guys even lose power or anything? Nope. Or never even awesome. lost power. So you just got a day at home. That's not so bad. I got a Saturday at home. No, yeah, I didn't. Even, that's, I didn't, <laughs> didn't that's not miss even work. a work day. Yeah, yeah, that's, yeah. That's how it goes. But you know, I don't want to make too light of it because it's not been good. Uh, I've got a friend who is still work, uh, having to work the uh, South Carolina Department of Transportation call center, trying desperately to convince people that they should not try and keep going to Myrtle Beach for vacation right now. It's not a good time. What with not having roads there. So, you know, I would not envy being in that position for a moment. That sounds horrible. Not nearly as horrible as actually trying to get to Myrtle Beach right now, but but close. Or Wilmington or, you know, New Bern or any of these other <laughs> any, hard any place along cities. the coast, basically. Pretty much. Yeah, it's it's been devastating. The problem is we're getting more rain, so we're going to get more flooding. Well, fortunately, you guys are far enough uphill where it's not going to affect you guys too much directly. But no. man, you feel bad for anybody down closer to the coast. Exactly. At any rate, between that and various other random things that are going on, it's it's been busy and crazy, but not altogether bad, which has been nice. Good. So yeah, I got to do a bunch of research on Roman taxes today, so that was yeah. fun. <laughs> yeah, there's, I mean... Okay, so we're doing Matthew, who was a tax collector. So there's going to be a lot about Roman taxes in here. So oh, I made sure there was a lot in. about Roman taxes in here. You better <laughs> believe it. So much about taxation, you guys. Yeah. Tell you what, you want to get into that? Let's let's go ahead and start. Yeah, this. yeah. Let's let's go ahead and do that. I'll take this first passage out of uh, Matthew, and we can go from there. Great. So this is uh, Matthew nine nineteen through thirteen. As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. 
Follow me, he told him, and Matthew got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. So if you don't mind, I'd like to take both of these passages from Luke. Have at it, man. Okay. So our first one here is Luke chapter 18, verses 9 to 14. To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. And the second passage from Luke is Luke chapter 19, verses 1 to 10. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, He has gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. And our last passage is Revelation 4, 5 through 8. From the throne came flashes of lightning, rumbles and peals of thunder. In front of the throne, seven lamps were blazing. These are the seven spirits of God. Also in front of the throne, there was what looked like a sea of glass, clear as crystal. In the center, around the throne, were four living creatures, and they were covered with eyes in front and in back. The first living creature was like a lion. The second was like an ox. The third had a face like a man. The fourth was like a flying eagle. Each of the four living creatures had six wings and was covered with eyes all around, even under its wings. Day and night, they never stop saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. So we're talking about Matthew. Levi, Matthew, Matthew the tax collector, Matthew the apostle. And we have some fun facts about Matthew to start us off. Fun fact number one, his Western feast day is September 21st, which is the day after this episode's being recorded. So there we go. It's uh, Matthew's feast day eve. I don't actually know how feast days are said. Yeah, me neither. There's a fun fact that's not about Matthew. <laughs> Both of us are from Protestant traditions. And <laughs> yeah, are exactly. Kind of like, uh, feast day? <laughs> exactly. So happy Matthew feast day eve, Peter. Uh, you too, Grant. <laughs> Thank you. Fun Matthew fact number two. Uh, he is the patron saint of accountants, tax collectors, bankers, civil servants, perfumers, and Salerno, Italy. Okay. Most of those make sense. One thing I have found is that patron saints tend to collect a wide variety of odd groups and guilds and, and crafts and trades, so perfumers doesn't surprise me so much as stand out as interesting. 
Yeah, it, it's but it, it's one of those things where it's like finance, 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 perfume. Right. And then a place where he probably visited. Right. So, and I don't know the logic of why that is, like why that was chosen or why he was chosen for them. But I'm kind of curious about that now, and I intend to look that up at some point. Yeah. Uh, fun fact number three. A lot of Matthew's story is pretty nebulous or downright contradictory after Acts, and he isn't talked about much in the Bible beyond his recruitment. He's kind of listed and just sort of there. So many fun Matthew facts aren't actually facts. They're traditions and stories and historical or pseudo-historical or ahistorical speculation. But we're going to be talking about Matthew's appearance in Scripture mostly, because that's the, the hard evidence we have of him. And it's a very compelling story, so we're going to talk about it a lot. And that's fine. Matthew, fact number four, he was a publican. We're going to be talking about publicans a lot, but this was uh, a tax collector. We've described him as a tax collector. That was his job. He's one of the most disliked types of sellouts in the Roman Empire. Yeah, these were the collaborators among the um, Israelites. So it was not a thing that got you a lot of, like, kind looks on the street. Exactly. Got you a lot of money, but uh, not a whole lot of acceptance. <laughs> exactly. And, you know, this is a good redemption story. He's uh, He is traditionally associated, though not, you know, scripturally associated, with one of the angels that we mentioned in that passage from Revelation. It's one of the ones, you know, covered in ice. And some of that is just, hey, there are four Gospels, there's four of these, and they're important ones, so maybe that correlates. There's something to be said, you know, there's another association in that day and night they never stop saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come, which sounds a lot like somebody who says truths. Yeah. So, you know, there's per a correlation Perhaps somebody there. who is credited with writing one of the Gospels. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, there are parallels, but this is one of those extra-biblical traditions not in Scripture. And that's okay. It's neat. Yeah. But let's talk about Matthew as he appears in the Bible. We normally say Matthew, but he is also identified as the tax collector Levi, son of Alphaeus, who is named in Mark and Luke. Uh, it's never explicitly stated that these are the one and the same people, but the circumstances of their call are identical, and both are described as the son of Alphaeus, so that's probably the same person. Yep. As a result, we often hear him referred to as Levi Matthew. Yeah, and people having multiple names seems like a fairly common thing in especially the New Testament, so it's not yeah. it's not one of those things where it's like, I don't know about this. Exactly. So if you hear Levi Matthew, that's who we're talking about. This is not some other person also named Matthew. Yeah, it's not like Joseph's, which get real confusing in the Old Testament. Or Mary's or any of these others. Yeah, there's a lot. Or I should say the Old Testament to the New Testament. He was the yeah. first biblical figure that we had to do, and we had to specify, because there's two <laughs> really important ones in the Bible. True. Matthew was a Galilean and a publican. We already talked about publicans, one of the most disliked folks in the empire. Um, tax collecting was the majority of their job, especially by the time of Christ, by the first century A.D., Previously, publican included a role that also was like public contractors. Part of the confusion here is that publican refers to a category of people, but who had very different jobs depending on what their class was and their position in kind of this hierarchy of publicans. It's somewhat confusing. I'm going to get into it in a little bit. But when we say publican, that can actually mean a couple of different things. In fact, you know what? Let's talk about tax collection, shall we? Yeah. Okay. Because it didn't work like it does today. No. All right. Roman tax collection in first century Palestine is fascinating and 
utterly bizarre to modern listeners. And somewhat horrifying, too. Well, yes, but it makes sense, but it's strange. And you can absolutely see why tax collectors were put on the same level as adulterers. I mean, listen to scripture here. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you, I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even worse, this tax collector. I mean, we don't think that way of IRS agents. No, I mean, they're probably not super popular, but yeah, but not, you know, we're not, not saying, this level. Oh, yeah, this guy. I'd rather, you know, have a murderer over. That seems fine. Yeah. 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 So Roman taxing. When we talk about Rome, one of the things we think about are public works, all those roads, all the baths, all the arenas. And the other thing we think about is armies. Yeah. Neither of these things are cheap. No. Rome needed a ton of money. So to raise it, Rome went about it in the weirdest way. Taxation was a public capitalist matter in Rome. Now, real quick, I'm drawing heavily from Alfred Edersheim's Sketches of Jewish Social Life and Fawcett's Bible Dictionary. So I'm going to be giving a lot of information. Most of it comes from those. The good news is the the texts of those are available online. I'll link to them uh, in the show notes. Uh, These are just useful resources. And frankly, sketches of Jewish social life, that may be my reading for the rest of the the week. It was fascinating. This whole chapter was a difficult but really interesting read. So I'd strongly recommend giving that a uh, once over. Cool. All right. So here's the thing. Roman senators and magistrates were forbidden to engage in business or trade. Those are like the authorities in charge. But the uppermost class of Roman citizens were capitalists. They had a large amount of money, and Rome was so well organized that they formed corporations, basically. So here's how Roman taxation works. A province's revenue is offered up by the government for auction. The elites of Rome, this uppermost class of Roman citizens, forms a joint stock company which buys at public auction the revenues of that whole province. The term for this was typically about five years. So there are corporations that own the rights to tax revenue from a particular Roman province. Now, these capitalists are called publicans, publicani. This is where we get the term the public. And that collective term, in this case, typically refers to this highest order of publicans, okay? These are people never mentioned in the New Testament. They are elite Roman citizens. They don't factor into the stories that we hear in Scripture. But all of that revenue generated from the investment buying the rights at auction, all of that goes into the treasury. So Rome gets its tax revenue immediately. But this corporation is created to turn a profit for stockholders, just like a modern corporation. So in turn, they create a private hierarchy of tax collectors in order to bring a return on investments and bring in dividends. So there are chairmen in their offices in Rome who are employing managers in the province being taxed. When we talk about a chief tax collector, that's probably one of these. So that's Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus is directly employed by Rome. Now, in turn, these people, like Zacchaeus, employ publicans. Like Matthew. Like Matthew. These are lower-class laborers and often slaves. Roman slavery was odd. They may not have, you know, actually gotten money, but, like, this was their job. And so these were the actual agents of tax collection, okay? So Matthew is not at the same level as Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus is, like, a manager. Matthew is the guy on the ground collecting taxes, 
Now, the actual details of Roman taxes are pretty complicated. We have good records of them, but as with anything that lasts multiple centuries, changes governments frequently, and has a reasonably thick bureaucracy, there's a lot of details. But here are some rough numbers on Roman taxes. There were income taxes due from all people of any social rank, even slaves, and they were due from the age of 12 if you were a woman or 14 if you were a man until the age of 65. Agricultural taxes, which was mostly land, right, because most of your land is, is agriculture, right, was subject to a tax of 10% of all grain produced and 20% of wine and fruit produced. Plus, there were the regular taxes of daily life, duties on all imports and exports, levies on all highways and seaports, so if you're traveling, you have to pay taxes, duties on bridges and roads, if you are using a particular Roman road, you have to pay taxes every once in a while, at stations on the road, if you're crossing a bridge, you're paying a toll, uh, and there are taxes on everything bought and sold. And we think, oh, yeah, it's a sales tax, but remember that you have to go and do that with a real person. This is not automatically deducted at the cash register. Yeah, because there is no cash register. There is a guy standing there taking coins from you. Exactly. The poll tax, like the, the income tax, basically, was 1%. That's not terrible, but it's there and it's something you have to do. And when you're barely scraping by, of course, anything like that matters. Because again, it made no differentiation, rich or poor. Right. Duties and levies on goods and trade were much higher. Uh, you could get up to a 12.5% tax for luxury items, and harbor dues and that sort of thing were even higher than that. These multitudes of taxes, by the way, were one reason Rome put such import on accurate census numbers. Now, this also means, think about the, the mechanics of it, it's not just looking at you know an inventory sheet and saying, oh yeah, this is what you got, all right, we'll do a, a quick once over, yeah, everything looks fine. Everything has to be unloaded and inspected routinely. Even letters were opened. We actually see that in scripture. Rome is opening people's mail to see if anything is taxable in there. The people who inspected and valued goods and collected taxes on the spot, those were the publicans. Those were Matthew. Now, one thing that I, I talked about earlier was profit. There's a corporation set up to bring in profit for investors. How do you turn a profit collecting taxes? You charge more than Rome does. Exactly. And you do it arbitrarily and viciously. The publicani stockholders in Rome expect significant returns on their investments from taxes, and they generally got them. The managers they employed, like Zacchaeus, likewise expected to be made wealthy. And their publican employees, like Matthew, were the ones making this happen. Now, evaluating the worth of shipped and transported goods, property, etc., it's a pretty arbitrary process. I look at this and say, well, that looks like it's about this much. Well, you can argue with me, but you're not going to get very far, because I'm the guy yeah. in charge. Um, you know, we're not arguing about the rate, you know, if, you know, if I have goods that I say are worth 30 dinars and you come up and say, uh, it looks like it's 45 dinars worth of goods. Well, I have increased by 50% the amount of tax that's going into that tax collector's purse. Yep. So that permits tax collectors to essentially name any value and collect taxes on that value, pocketing any excess. The cost of the collection itself, which are wages for the tax collector and their managers, that also gets collected. So there's a fee for getting your taxes collected. I'm sure people were just thrilled about that. Oh, absolutely. And then, of course, here's a fun one. Sometimes you'd go, you know, a tax collector would go up and be like, hey, here's your tax that's due. And the person would be like, well, I can't afford that. And then they'd say, great. I tell you what, I'll offer you an advance on the tax that's due. What happens then? Interest. Wow. Not just interest, private interest, because that has turned a public tax into a private loan to that person. Ah, yes, loan sharkery. 
Exactly. And of course, that's your serious interest that's being charged. Uh, Matthew 18, 28 <laughs> gives us an example of a creditor dragging a man to prison by the throat over a relatively small sum, ignoring his pleas. And the sale into slavery of an entire family was a pretty common resource for creditors to get their loan money back. Add into all of this that around 33 AD, which is about when we think Jesus started his ministry, give or take a couple years, Rome suffered a serious financial crisis. So that put even more strain on the publicani at the top of the tax collection pyramid. And of course, that means that they are looking to extract further financial gain from the people below them to pay off all of the, the debt that's come due and all, you know, and handle all these investments and, and pay for everything. So there's even more getting sucked out this way. Yeah, and don't for, don't forget, these people are willing to throw people in jail and or pull out weapons and use them to enforce this. Yeah, or, you know, do a little thing like crucifying. Yeah. The resulting Jewish opinion of tax collectors was not high. <laughs> Jews owed, because here's the thing, Jews owed all of these taxes. In addition, they owed local taxes, which makes some sense, right? You have your town tax. And remember, these town taxes pay for things like rabbinical schools and well maintenance, like all of this sort of thing. Stuff your town genuinely needs to survive and or function as a cultural entity. Exactly. And, you know, Jewish culture had solidified pretty well at this point, you know, after various different invasions and, and everything else we see in the Old Testament. But of course, remember, on top of all that, there's the prescribed temple tax. And that's a religious tax. And that's part of being a good Jew. But then you've got these external taxes on top of that. Yeah, and they're probably happy to pay the temple tax in a lot of cases, but not so thrilled about the unpredictable, deliberately severe, higher than they technically should be on paper level of taxation from Rome. Right. And remember, these, you know, there's, there's this naturally frustrating process of inspection, valuation, taxation, and that happens frequently. Jesus finds Matthew at just a booth. Right. He's handling the taxes at a marketplace. Literally, he's got his booth there where he's got to check. OK, what did you buy? Here's the tax that's due on it. Right. These are daily transactions that are happening that you then have to go and pay taxes on. And it's not just the taxes that are due. It's going into this guy's pocket and going into his boss's pocket and going into the pocket of Rome. Rome being the bloody conqueror, this foreign heretical force that is causing tremendous problems and strife. Nobody particularly likes that, and nobody particularly likes seeing their, the product of their labor taken for private, unjust gain, you know? Yeah. That, that is literal robbery. Yeah, yeah, or at the very best, extortion. Yeah, and it's worth remembering that unlike modern taxes, remember I, I said there's no cash register, there's no IRS you're sending a check to, there's no payroll taxes being deducted and you never see the money. You're paying taxes to a person. And you're doing it constantly. Constantly, and this is a person who lives in your town. They're a Jew. They're your neighbor. And you know them. And everybody knows them. And they interact with them constantly. And you can despise them to their face. Matthew is not some foreign bureaucrat. He is there with his neighbors being hated daily. Bear in mind, it's legally permissible in the Roman government to appeal excessive taxation to the magistrates. You can take their, you, know, you can say, you're charging me way too much. You're, you're valuing these goods too highly. You're taking far too much out of pocket for your own fees. I'm going to take you to court. You can do that. It's also useless because those judges were the chief of publicans. They were the publicani. They were the people who ultimately received the dividends of taxation. They're the people so at the top of the pyramid. So they had a vested interest in screwing you over. Exactly. They're the people who want 
those taxes to be as high as possible on the people who can't do anything about it. I'm going to go ahead and stop trying to summarize, and I'm going to quote Fawcett here. To crown all, the publicans were often Jews, in the eyes of their countrymen, traitors to Israel's high calling and hopes. To be spoiled by foreigners was bad, but to be plundered by their own countrymen was far worse. Publican became synonymous with sinner and pagan. He gives a couple of uh, verse references here. The hatred and contempt in which they were held hardened them against all better feelings, so that they defied public opinion. As the Pharisees were the respectable and outwardly religious class, so the publicans were the vile and degraded. Hence the rabbis declared, as one robber disgraced his whole family, so one publican in a family. Promises were not to be kept with murderers, thieves, and publicans. That's uh, in Nadar 3, chapter 4, or verse 4. The synagogue alms box and the temple korban must not receive their alms. That's from Baba Kama, chapter 10, verse 1. It was not lawful to use riches received from them as gotten by rapine. Literally, they're equated with theft. You can't use money for the, in the temple from a tax collector if they donate it because it's stolen money. Nor could they judge or give testimony in court. That's Essen pretty harsh. It is harsh. <laughs> and that's the thing. Tax collectors were essentially excommunicated from Jewish society and religious participation. They could go pray in the temple— and that's about it. Their money was no good to God. Their efforts were not good to their society. They were functionally no longer Jews in Jewish society. So that makes it pretty remarkable that Jesus walked up to one of them and said, hey, you come with me. Exactly. This is the Matthew, son of Alphaeus, who's about to be chosen as one of the apostles of the son of God. Yep. And what do we see in scripture? We see Jesus come in, see this man at the tax collector booth, and he just says, follow me. And Matthew immediately does. And he goes to have dinner at Matthew's house. This is a respected rabbi. This is a rabbi, right? We hear Jesus called rabbi several times in Matthew specifically. And I many translations of Matthew, I think, include rabbi in dialogue, you know, like when the woman talks to, to Jesus, for example, at the well, things like that. I don't think that's an accident because Matthew emphasizes very strongly in his gospel the Jewishness of Jesus. Matthew's gospel is the most Jewish-oriented. Well, he's very strongly emphasizing that Jesus is the Messiah whom the Jews waited for. And as you go through Mark and then Luke and then John, Jesus becomes more universal, right? His salvation is not just for the Jews, but for the whole world. But Matthew's very focused on Jewish salvation. And I'm not entirely sure that's just because that's his audience. I wonder if there's a little bit of his own salvation in there. Yeah. Here's a rabbi who says, hey, Matthew, I'm meeting at your house tonight. Bear in mind, yeah. this is somebody who his neighbors hate. And now there's a rabbi saying, hey, it's not just I want to be with you. I want you to follow me. I want you to do me the honor of having me at your house tonight. It is an honor for me to be at your house. Yeah, it's a very restorative kind of a statement that he makes there. It's like, yeah, let's, let's put you back into this society that you've exactly. been ostracized from. And you can hear you know, the, the Pharisee response. Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Yeah, you can, you can hear the, it bears mentioning, very justified incredulity there. Like, what? You know? Right. And Jesus, by the way, does not dispute the sinful nature of what Matthew is doing. He's, his reply is, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. Not Matthew is not sick, but Matthew is sick and needs a doctor. Yeah. But go and learn what this means, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. And that's, that's the best part of that passage, because that's all of us. Yeah. 
But let's talk about Matthew a little more. Obviously, this is a fantastic redemption story. Yeah, absolutely. I, I want to go back to Edersheim real quick. His description of Matthew's uh, of this this moment in Scripture is actually poetic, and I, I love this. But it was not merely condescension, kindness, sympathy, even familiar intercourse with one usually regarded as a social pariah. It was the closest fellowship. It was reception into the innermost circle. It was a call to the highest and holiest work which the Lord offered to Levi. That inversion is wonderful. And that same sort of thing is, is what's offered to us, right? The salvation that Christ offers. And when we talk about Matthew as a character and as an example, I think that's, that's the best part of his story to focus on, is that the idea of the last being first and the first being last. Yeah. I've talked a lot. Peter? <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. You were you were very enthusiastic, and I wasn't about to stop you. Um, okay, so we we've got a little bit about uh, Matthew post Bible here. The Catholic and Orthodox churches both claim that he was martyred, but there are some conflicting reports on whether or not he actually was. According to Fox's Book of Martyrs from 1563, he was stabbed with a halberd in uh, Ethiopia, which bears mentioning is not the Ethiopia that we know today. Um, that was a catch-all term for that southern bit. Yeah. Other accounts have him burned at the stake and or beheaded. The halberd thing in particular, I think that may be an ahistorical weapon, so that kind of seems like some anachronism there, but it's yeah. not worth dwelling on. Um, is something halberd-like? Yeah. Pointy things on sticks have certainly been used for a long period of human history, but the halberd is kind of a renaissance weapon. So yeah. one of the biggest proponents of him not being martyred, however, is uh, Heracleon, a heretic. Jenny has in here, uh, I'm not a heretic. Just please give me some non-conflicting reports to work off of, please. Yes. <laughs> He probably did go to Ethiopia after the Great Commission, though. Um, and again, by Ethiopia, we mean that southern bit. Yeah, <laughs> he headed south. It says, despite many contradicting stories about him, a whole lot of them involve him going to Persia and Ethiopia. So there's, right. there's probably a pretty good chance that he was there. There's a lot of writings attributed to him. Scripture fragments preserved in writings by St. Jerome and Epiphanius, um, stories in the Apocrypha including some pretty wild ones about toddler Jesus. Oh, yes. Yeah. Um, I can't remember it now, but there is there is a apocryphal gospel that is really weird. Jesus pushes a kid off the roof and kills him and then brings him back to life and turns mud birds into uh, living birds. And it's all very weird. It's very Gnostic and very strange. Trippy. Yeah. There's actually some dispute about whether or not he actually wrote the gospel that's named after him. We yeah. kind of just don't know. Uh, yeah. There's a good case to be made that probably not, because the Gospels kind of really started getting compiled and passed around later than you'd think. A lot of them in kind of the, the last quarter of the first century AD, so like, you know, 70 AD on or so, mm -hmm. um, when it, it started becoming apparent that a lot of these people that had all of this firsthand knowledge were going to die off, whether it was by Roman or just by old age, and this needed to be preserved. The Gospel of Matthew was probably written anonymously and later attributed to him in the second century, and his Gospel was largely what St. Jerome worked off of. Yeah, it's worth pointing out, though, that you know, the Gospel of Matthew certainly captures the character of somebody who fits Matthew very, very well. It, does. it may not have been 
written by him directly, but it certainly seems to have a voice that identifies very strongly as Matthew in it. And that's always been appealing. Yeah, it's it's interesting. Um, as Grant referenced earlier, it's very Jewish. And the Sermon on the Mount in particular, which shows up in Matthew, is very concerned with how you treat the lower strata of society, which is probably something that a reformed tax collector would be keenly aware of their shortcomings in and want to make sure got taken down. So mm -hmm. there's that element as well. And there's always been a lot of that. I mean, you go back to the prophets and, you know, Isaiah and Micah and, you know, they're, they're all talking about how you definitely need to take care of the less fortunate and stuff. So that's also very Jewish as well. There's a very rich and consistent <laughs> A thread of that running through the teachings of the the prophets in particular. So, oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So that's Matthew is kind of a historical figure. So, yep, historical and scriptural. Yep. How about gaming? What do we do with Matthew in our games? Well, you know, it's funny. We have this one incredibly strong and powerful story about Matthew, and then that's kind of it. Yeah, he doesn't do a whole lot, really, anywhere in the rest of Scripture. I think though that this particular story is more than enough to start building off of. In our own games, anybody who is that social pariah is automatically somebody I think you can make interesting. First, because who society ostracizes says a great deal about that society. Yeah. You can always use that as a mirror to hold up to the society in your game and then through your game, hold that up to the society that you are in right now. That's always valuable. Yeah, and my mind immediately goes to both of your wife's PCs. Yeah. Yep. Both Aster and Callista have an element of this in them. Sure. For very different reasons. Um, Aster is a former street thief, and Callista used to be a soldier from Alcova, which is a very bad place. Yeah, she's basically like a former orc under Saruman, basically. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, to, to give it a very broad parallel. Imagine that, who's in like, hey, can I join the Fellowship? Y'all seem yeah. bad. Yeah, or if you want to take something a little more contemporaneous, uh, former Soviet commissar, maybe. Yeah, kind of. So you have that that idea of... Who is this ostracized person? Let's get into their humanity. Let's see what we can do about them. It's also worth pointing out that Jesus went to Matthew's house and stayed there with all the rest of the apostles and probably a few other folks traveling with him. Matthew had money. He was not as rich as Zacchaeus. He was certainly not as rich as a Roman publicani dealing in unimaginable amounts of wealth, buying and selling provinces and tax revenue. Yeah, he was definitely not the Jeff Bezos of his day. But he's a wealthy man, certainly probably yeah. the wealthiest in his neighborhood, right? Probably, uh, almost certainly the wealthiest among the 12. Mm, yeah, possibly. Well, or at least, you know, starting off. <laughs> yeah, to be clear, none of them were probably particularly wealthy by the time Jesus's ministry finished up. But, indeed, you know, their prior lives, I mean, fishermen and zealots and stuff aren't exactly held up as, you know, pillars of uh, wealth and status. Exactly. So that's an interesting role as well. This is not the social outcast who is the homeless man on the corner holding up a sign saying, you know, homeless, please help that acts as social camouflage. No, this is closer to a crime boss. A little bit. Yeah. Or maybe like payday loans guy or something, maybe some yeah. kind of a sleazy financial thing. That kind of thing where he hangs out with all the wrong kind of people. His peer group is the Romans. Yeah. Not the Jews, the Romans. We don't want anything to do with him. Those nasty, brutal, occupying Romans. <laughs> Yeah, that makes it interesting, too. I think there's a great deal of value in going to the social outcast who, by virtue of their outcast, has been made poor and destitute and is struggling. 
But there's also something of the person who has alienated themselves from society and wants to be redeemed, despite the material comforts that their choices have brought them. I mean, that's yeah. we've heard that story time and time again. Yeah, and Outcast with Money is is definitely an interesting character type. Sure. And this is useful. Like, this is a good PC background, I think. Yep. This is great backstory. By the way, we're talking about backstory next episode, so stay tuned. Yeah. I think this is the kind of thing you can work into a backstory where your character was not probably visited by Christ, but (laughs) you probably have something that turns you from this life of wealth without much soul and without social interaction to... Maybe something better, but without those comforts. Yeah. I have to wonder how much Matthew complained on the road. Yeah. Yeah. You you do kind of have to wonder about that because I could see him either complaining a lot or not complaining very much at all. And either one of those would make for an interesting character if you were doing it in game. Exactly. It's also maybe worth pondering. Matthew specifically says that Judas is the one who was in charge of the treasury of the apostles, who kept the money and was stealing from it. Yeah. Yeah. It almost seems like Matthew kind of decided he didn't want anything to do with money anymore. Yeah. Now we have, you know, this is coming from Matthew. Yeah. It's interesting. Matthew doesn't name himself in his own gospel. Uh, You see that with uh, John as well, right? Like John is the apostle Jesus loved. There's that anonymity. Right. That idea of like taking yourself out of the story, except where it's relevant is, is kind of interesting. There's a lot to be said about Matthew as a gospel author as well, but I almost feel like that's that's like the end of a story. That's Matthew writing what has happened rather than right. being part of interesting events, despite the fact that, you know, without writing that gospel, much more would have been different. I think there's also a huge amount to be taken out of not Matthew himself, but the whole like system that he was part of prior oh, sure. to Christ recruiting him. Yeah. Um, that, that whole bizarre, like convoluted multiple layers of bureaucracy and incredibly corrupt taxation system. Right. Which is all public, public in the sense of being available to citizens, not a government thing and a private hierarchy of tax collectors making up money that has already been paid into government coffers. It's a very strange system compared to modern days. And by the way, it's worth pointing out that by like the third century, fourth century, Rome didn't do this anymore. They just collected taxes directly because they had built up so much infrastructure. They didn't need to go this route. Right. But the the idea of, of working as like a legally authorized thief, constantly badgering people for money, is weird and fascinating. Yeah, or having to deal with like a system like that in some city that your characters or country that your characters visit or that the whole campaign takes place in. I mean, because all right, let's let's be real here for a moment. Mix that system with player characters. Oh yeah. They'll like hate what it. percentage of shenanigans is that going to result in? Roughly 15,000% shenanigans? Oh yeah, I mean imagine asking your player characters to constantly give up small amounts of their earnings every time they travel. Yeah, every time they do anything, really. Like, And, and remember that it's arbitrary. It's yeah. not, yeah, it's always 5%. It's like, oh, yeah, well, this guy charged you 3%. This guy charged you 5%. This guy over here is going to charge you 11%, but he's got armed guards with him. Yeah, you're doing something different, so it's this percentage. Uh, yeah, you know, this road has three bridges, and it's a major highway, so you're going to get charged five times on this road. This road's more dangerous, but you're only going to get taxed twice. Yeah. What a, what a fun little bit of bureaucracy. And I say fun in the sense of annoying the heck out of your players because it's so much bookkeeping. 
And it feels so arbitrary and unfair. And it might well be okay to look at your players and say, you're right. It is arbitrary unfair. That's this setting. Well done. Hi. Hello. What are you going to do about it? <laughs> what, are you going to do anything about it? Or are you just going to suffer through it? Or just, you know, deal with it as you travel through and then be like, never visiting tax land again. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> do you, uh, if you, if you stick them in this society, however, this is how you get classical era Robin Hood. <laughs> yes. Who was also an earl. <laughs> according yeah, to some yeah, of the he was, he was, yeah, he was definitely nobility, but it's the, the idea is this is, this is how you get like, you know, organized like do-gooder bandits because, ah, the taxes. Right. You know? And again, you know, it's worth pointing out that the actual tax amounts, you know, they're not entirely unreasonable given what Rome was doing. It's just death by a thousand cuts. Well, you know, and, it's, and remember, I'm talking about the tax rates, not right. the, all of the extra that you're paying on top of that. Under Syria, taxes were very different, but it was things like a third of all the grain. Yeah. That's a lot. Yeah, that's a that's a whole lot. That's the difference between profitable and starving in some cases. But again, it's a third of all the grain and produce and that sort of thing. But you don't have like the constant badgering for taxation everywhere you go. You know, there's all these different tax amounts and we know less and less about those, you know, going back further and further into history. Yeah, but it's just like this constant irritating buzz, you know, of it's course. almost like having a mosquito in your ear that you can't get rid of. Yeah. And it would be extremely annoying at the gaming table. But if you play into that and say the feature of this part of the game, this area, this government, this organization, this city, whatever is, it is so annoying to be here. If you and play stressful, into that, yeah, you know? if, if you play into that and say that's the nature of this place instead of. Oh, yeah, this is, you know, the city where the cult of the snake god runs everything and everything is snakes. It's the bureaucracy is insane here and it's all private and it's arbitrary. And you can clearly see like this guy going, all right, well, this is for government and this is for me. Have a good one. Well, and the other thing, too, is let's not also forget that you're not just paying money for this. You're paying time. Yes. Every time you try to do something, there's like this this time cost of come on over here, let me inspect this. And then it's like, because these people are greedy and corrupt and they're taking extra, it's like, you're going to cut into my productivity. You're going to drain more than you should off the top. And then I know I'm going to go five miles down the road and I'm going to have to go through this process again. Right. And it's probably not five miles, but it's some distance to be sure. Yeah. It's the next major town. Yeah. And bear in mind, by the way, the penalty for smuggling and trying to fake the value of goods and that sort of thing, the penalty is forfeiture of all those goods. Yeah. It creates an incentive for smuggling, but it's dangerous because if you get caught, you lose all of it. Trust yep. me, your player characters are going to want to try smuggling. Yeah. <laughs> yes, they will. I mean, in fairness, I feel like playing a smuggler like right now, that just seems fun. Yeah, I mean, so, all right, cool. Let's do that. We could we could definitely do that at some point. But yep. uh, someone I follow on Twitter, uh, and this is mostly unrelated, but it's very cool. Somebody on follow on Twitter tweeted out basically the pitch that their GM presented for a Blades in the Dark campaign. Okay, I'm gonna paraphrase because I can't remember it exactly, but basically it was the player characters are smugglers who smuggle ghosts past the border by letting them possess them. Wow, I'm I'm in. Like that sounds great. Yeah, that also sounds crazy. Yeah. So here's a question. Why do ghosts need to be smuggled? Are we taxing ghosts now? Yeah. 
Boy, that's an interesting thing to be taxing. Yeah, and it's Blades in the Dark, so, I mean, who knows, right? Yeah, it can go any number of different ways, but... Like, that idea of, you know, smuggling weird, crazy goods. Are ghosts a luxury that are taxed at, like, 13%? (laughs) 50%? Are ghosts considered, like, a necessity of life and are therefore taxed at a low rate? But, you know, getting caught smuggling them involves the ghost being confiscated and... How do you confiscate a ghost? Yeah, I mean, what does that look we like? We cannot let them confiscate grandma. Yeah. We're getting a little a little on the weird side of things here, but I'm in. I mean, like this sounds like a great campaign. The initial campaign. pitch was already weird, so yeah. One other thing to think about to pull it back <laughs> a little bit, going into debt. I think this is a fairly common one like I owe a lot of money to someone they're going to foreclose on my house, foreclose on my family, as it were, sell them <laughs> Foreclose on my kneecaps, perhaps. <laughs> yeah. That's a common enough trope. It's a universal enough trope that I think that gets used in a lot of games. But think about what they're in debt for. Are they in debt because they made terrible financial decisions or because they couldn't pay arbitrary weird taxes and now they're in debt to the tax man? Yeah. Who is wealthy enough to hire a guy to break kneecaps and sell a family into slavery. Yep. It's always nice to have Scrooge as a villain. Yeah, and heck, that guy that he hires, either as a backstory for a redeemed or semi-redeemed player character, or as an antagonist that's probably terrifying, also an interesting character to have in your setting. Sure. And I do like the idea of playing someone like Matthew who has these you know connections and skills that he's picked up as a result of being that tax collector. Sure, he's on the side of good now, but, you know, if you really need him to, he can put on a laurel wreath and a toga and go drink wine with the best of the Romans. And maybe you need that to figure out what's going on. And I'm speaking metaphorically here. If he can still hang with the oppressive government, that's a skill set of value to the rebels. Yeah, absolutely. Or maybe even not the the rebels, just the people that are being oppressed. You know, if he's if he's engaging in his own little kind of private Oscar Schindler-like rebellion where he's trying to save people that are going to be subject to, you know, genocide or some other terrible treatment, being able to mingle in those circles, that's absolutely vital. Absolutely. So there's a lot here, despite the fact that it's a relatively short passage of scripture, but it's a powerful passage of scripture because these are the worst of the worst. You know, the only people that Christ deals with who are at this level are like the woman accused of adultery who's about to be stoned to death. Yeah. You can't stone Matthew to death, at least not legally. And certainly not without repercussions from the Romans. Yeah. And if anybody did repercussions well, who boy, then they're Romans. They were good at that. Yeah, but you know there were a lot of back alley tax collector stabbings. Oh, I'm sure. <laughs> People mysteriously crushed by falling masonry was probably fairly commonplace too. Well, you just fell. It's weird. But somebody who's come out of that world and is trying to leave it behind, but his neighbors still don't like him and trust him. Yeah. Now we're sort of getting into your character in my game. It, yeah, in a weird way. Uh, my character is kind of like a, a renegade publican in a lot of ways. Yeah. Like coming from this incredibly wealthy family who literally runs banking interests and is like, you know what? I'm going to go train at an evil dojo and become a weird motorcycle riding cowboy thief. You know, it's not an identical parallel life story, but there is that idea. There's definitely some similarities in there. There's that same idea of giving up material comfort in order to go do something at least nominally good. She I keep trying to remember that she is technically neutral and not evil. Yeah. And being like, yeah, all right, I'll make her do something good. It is (laughs) Peter's game. I need to try. (laughs) Do we have much else to say about Matthew? 
I don't think we do. I mean, the last couple of these were like 20 minutes long, so this one is definitely closer to the length of a full episode. Meh, no bad thing. Yeah, definitely not. And uh, like Grant said, next time we will be back with our full cast and we'll be talking character backstories. So consider the back half of this one to be kind of a warm up for that. And we'll see you in two weeks. Absolutely. Well, from both of us here and Jenny in the catacombs of Paris, have a good one. Take it easy. We'll catch you next time. See you later, folks. This has been a production of Saving the Game. All episodes are produced and published under a Creative Commons 4.0 attribution, share-alike license. Our logo is by Ruben Smith Zimple of 3d6design.com. Our music is The Promised Place Beyond the Clouds by James Opie. You can find more of his music at nihilor.com. To hear our past episodes, to find syndication and license details, to connect with our fantastic listener community, or to contact us or support our show through Patreon, visit our website at stgcast.org or savingthegamepodcast.org. God bless, do good, and happy gaming.